why do you think that some of the neighbors changed their houses after they sat and talked with Mr. Plumbean? They realized they wanted to follow their passions and make their houses what they are. Mr. Plumbean lived on a street where all the houses were the same. He liked it that way. But then, one day, a seagull carrying a giant can of orange paint dropped that can right on the roof of Mr. Plumbean's house, leaving behind a big orange splot. What you gonna do about that splot? his neighbors said from their ticky-tacky houses on their very neat street. Mr. Plumbean thought about it. Then he got some paint and tackled that splot in a way that suited him, confuzzled his neighbors, and changed their street forever. Hi, I'm Sarah DeBacher, your host for Little Voices, Big Ideas, the podcast that makes the case for using children's books to talk about big and potentially difficult ideas. Ideas that each of us, big and little alike, encounter on our shared journey through personhood. This season, we're digging into democracy. No, our little ones can't vote, or at least my two young sons are not yet eligible. But as with all big ideas, the right time to discuss what it means to live in and with our shared American democracy is early and often. In each episode this season, we'll explore a book that you and your child can read together at home or on your way to the voting booth. On today's episode, we ask the big question, why govern to begin with? In Kidspeak, we're asking, what good are all these rules and who gets to make them anyway? We've got the perfect book to untangle this knot, Daniel Manus Pinkwater's The Big Orange Splot. And I've got the perfect people to help us do it. Children's book author and public scholar, Freddie Evans. Hello. And philosophy professor and author of multiple books on teaching philosophy to the youngest among us, Thomas Wartenberg. Hi there, Sarah. We will also hear from eight-year-old Jude and his mother, Kelly, who were kind enough to talk about Mr. Plumbean and his orange-painted antics with us in their home. Let's do it. Let's go beyond the bedtime story. So I'm going to go ahead and declare that The Big Orange Splot is one of my favorite children's books of all time. Before we hear from Jude, let me pick up the can of orange paint from where we left off earlier. So Mr. Plumbean's solution to the problem of the splot is to set about painting the house of his dreams in every color imaginable. Mr. Plumbean's house is covered in stripes and rainbows, lions, elephants, and it's topped by a clock tower. Out front, there is equally wild landscaping, including baobab trees for lounging in a hammock with his pet alligator. Now, what happens once Mr. Plumbean paints his house to match the splot is what's so wonderful and surprising about this book. His neighbors initially think Mr. Plumbean has lost his grip on reality, but then they wind up painting their own houses to look like their dreams. By the end of the book, 
the neat street has become a row of homes as wildly unique as the people who inhabit them. Tom, I know that this is a favorite book of yours as well. Can you talk a little bit about what impresses you about this book and um, the way in which it presents opportunities for talking about big ideas with the youngest among us? Sure, I'm happy to. This book is great. I mean, first of all, it's the, the illustrations are beautiful. And so uh, the pictures of the houses are great. And the kids love to see them and talk about that. Also, the language is wonderful. When uh, his neighbors discover what he's done, they come out and say things like, Plumbian Plumbian has popped his cork, flipped his wig, wig, blown his stack, and and dropped dropped his his stopper. They went away muttering. (laughs) So, I mean, the very language and the pictures really engage children in the story. But it's also fantastic that... This book that appears very simple raises very complicated, as you said, big ideas about democracy, but also about the nature of human lives. Because one of the messages, um, I think, that the book pretty clearly states is that you should be following your dreams. There's social conformity at the beginning of the book that's enforced, and Plumbing violates that in order to, as he says, follow his dreams. And there's a sort of repeated refrain about I am my house, my house is me, and it's my dreams or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that a lot of the norms or rules that we sort of are taught to follow don't make sense. And they actually constrict us. Whereas if we violate them uh, in the service of our own desires and, and let our lives be structured in accordance with what we want or in the book's terms, what we dream about, we'll be happy and actually other people will actually be envious of us mm-hmm. and try to do the same thing. And so it's a really very optimistic book uh, about the possibilities of human life and what's available to us. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of the possibility that's in the book. What about you, Freddie? Well, I agree with Tom. And first of all, I want to say this is also one of my favorite books. Yay! <laughs> We're hitting 100 in that area. We're all behind it. Yes. I'd like to think about what it takes, though, to follow your dreams. What does it take to go against the norm? What does it take to not adhere to peer pressure? And one of those things is bravery. So it takes a lot of confidence. It takes self-esteem. It takes um, insightfulness and belief in yourself. And where does that come from? Mm. How do you build that? And I think that's one of the values that this book holds for families Mm -hmm. is to discuss that and try to see how to uh, develop that in in the young ones. Right. And I think what an easy topic for kids to access, too, right? In other words, the number of times when a kid has done something potentially out of the norm, right, and maybe feels um, judged for it, uh, talking with them about, like, what you did is brave, right, in the same way that what Mr. Plumbean did was brave. Um, but also, Sarah, what the book's also doing is having us look at how people judge someone who violates the norms and initially, everybody's really angry at Mr. Plumbeam, and they sort of, I think, misunderstand him. And repeatedly, they go over and they drink lemonade with him and stay up all night talking <laughs> about their dreams. 
and they come away transformed. They would sit under the palm trees and drink lemonade and talk about their dreams. And whenever anybody visited Mr. Plumbing's house, the very next day, that person would set about changing his own house to fit his dreams. It really just takes one person who has that sense of bravery and self-confidence, self-esteem to influence other people. Now that we've talked about some of the ways that the book brings up uh, philosophical ideas, values, and some of these opportunities to put the book in the hands of, of families, I would love for us to listen to Jude, age eight, and his mother, Kelly, really opening the can of paint on the big orange spot. I know you said that this was a book you really liked when you were six and seven years old. Yeah. Now that you're eight... Do you still really like it? Partially. Partially? What's your favorite part about it? Uh, my favorite part about it is probably at the end when it just shows the pictures of all the houses. And what do the houses look like? When is a, a, like a Roman temple thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other is like a castle. And then there's like a Taj Mahal and a hot air balloon. And a ship. So Jude still finds this book to be sort of his favorite. I'm so glad that we are now still 100% in the camp of this is a favorite book. And I think one of the things that made it his favorite books was the idea of the creativity. Remember at the beginning of the book, it was called A Neat Street. But I think actually what Jude pointed out and what I see is that the end of the book shows A Neat Street with all of the different depictions of dreams, mm. representations of the dreams, the show of individuality, the show of creativity. I think that's what's neat. Yeah. In the beginning, they had a rule that all the houses had to look the same on the street. What do you think of that? Well, it's unjust. Why is it unjust? Because people should be able to make their houses whatever they want. Mm. Here's where we get into the, the, the meat of the matter, right? I have to say, Jude seems like a fantastic kid. You know, these are really great comments. Um, yeah, I think uh, this is a great issue to discuss with kids. You know, he says it's unjust to impose s sort of a rule of sameness on everyone. And everybody should be able to do whatever they want with their houses. And then, you know, you can ask them, well... Uh, the sort of hackneyed example is, can, ever, can you just choose to drive on whatever side of the street you want to? Is there no reason that we should impose a certain sort of uniformity? And if you think or realize that some rules are justified in that way, how do we distinguish between the rules that are necessary for the creation of a society and the rules that are not, that really constrain people in a way that's you know, as Jude said, unjust, deep question. And it's great to see Jude raising it. Now, who do you think made that rule in the book that all the houses had to look the same? Um, probably like the first person ever to live there. 
So do you think it was like an official law or just a rule? No, it wasn't a law because he doesn't get like arrested when he makes his house not neat. So it's not a law. What happens when he does change his house? People are mad at him. But they eventually get inspired by him. Why do you think they get inspired? Because they eventually start liking uh, the crazy street life, <laughs> I guess. Loving that crazy street life. <laughs> so I thought, you know, again, he's he, he raises uh, an interesting point, which is that there's a distinction between laws that uh, presumably most of them are necessary, although not all of them, uh, for the existence of society. And so when you violate that, the police, right, there's an external authority that comes in and can punish you for that violation. And what I say, uh, rules or social norms, which people are expected to follow, and the sort of analog to the police is people's disapproval of you. And so we're getting at sort of where where do these weird norms or rules come from, which seem to be constraining people? And why do people listen to them mm-hmm. if they're so bad and they don't allow us to fulfill our dreams? Yes. And, you know, it's like we're social creatures and we want other people to approve of us. And, you know, so he's 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 getting to again some very interesting questions that that it's great to discuss with kids, right? Because what's important in these discussions is listen carefully to what a child says and then try to move the discussion into, move away from the book a little bit and start talking about these issues that get raised. Mm. Sort of where do these norms come from and why do people follow them? Or not norms, I guess, but they're saying rules. Um, Where do the rules come from? Why do we follow them? I think one way to approach it is peer pressure. You know, mm-hmm. what is an official law? Uh, what laws are official versus which ones are established by your peers? And how do you overcome that? And how do you distinguish, you know, one for the other? And then how do you combat it? Right. It? I think, too, that maybe in a kind of obvious example here that, you know, in terms of making a connection between the book and the lived experiences of the kids who might be reading it. Uh, here in, in New Orleans, many kids uh, have to wear school uniforms. And mm. there are reasons for that. <laughs> but I think, you know, really digging into it, okay, so what might be the reasons for school uniforms? And uh, where might there be a little bit of wiggle room in terms of the skirt length or the pant length or the, you know, I think that that's something that um, kids here in New Orleans in particular could really relate to. In the morning, he bought a hammock and an alligator. When the other people came out of their houses, they saw Mr. Plumbean swimming in a hammock between two palm trees. They saw an alligator lying in the grass. Mr. Plumbean was drinking lemonade. He had an alligator, and that's that seems like that might be uh, a good rule. Maybe don't have alligators in your house. You think it's it okay? It was probably a train, and it was on a leash, and he probably has a license. <laughs> <laughs> and and technically, it's not illegal to own an alligator. So what would you do if our neighbor got an alligator and kept it in, in their front yard? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Would you feel like you could just walk by the house anytime you wanted with the alligator sitting there? Mm, I'd probably take some precautions, like walk in the street. 
They tell you walking in the street is dangerous, but in reality, if your if if your neighbor has an alligator in their yard, then the street's the the less dangerous alternative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much, partly because I adore, or maybe it's not adoration. Yeah, it is. It's adoration and appreciation for Kelly, and the incredible patience and probing that you can hear in this conversation. Like, she's taking Jude and his ideas seriously. Yes, I'm back here giggling because it's funny to me (laughs) that he's like, I wouldn't do anything. Totally fine with the alligator across the street. Got no problems. I'll just walk in the street. You know, I, I love I love the, the the logical moves that he's that he's making there. And Kelly doesn't dismiss him, you know. She she listens and she asks him to think a little more deeply and you know, she asks why and what if and that kind of supportive and non judgmental interrogation and probing in discussion of children's books with kids is so beautiful. And so valuable. I mean, I think Kelly really models yeah. exactly what we're after. We want uh, the adults to really listen carefully to what children have to say, to take what they have to say seriously, and to have a conversation about that. You know, as you say, to probe, to get them to think more deeply. To, to Isn't it dangerous to have an alligator next door? You know, what do you think about that? What about walking in the street? That's pretty dangerous, too. How do you uh, reconcile those things? I think, you know, I think she does a great job of, as I said, modeling the sort of process of inquiry that we're trying to get parents and kids involved in. And just imagine the amount of insight that would develop on both parts. I mean, insight for the child to think Uh, clearly or deeply about issues, as well as insight from the parent about what your child is thinking or what your child knows or does not know. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's a reciprocity there, right? So, again, the opportunity for learning here is not limited to the child. And you can really hear Kelly's curiosity and um, her interest in in what Jude has to say. It's so awesome. You can't really hear it, but I'm sure Kelly is like, taken aback with some of the brilliance of what Jude has to say. I mean, maybe she's used to it because he's her son. (laughs) But when I hear this eight-year-old kid saying some of these things, I think, wow. And I I expect that a parent would be surprised, too. That's one of the neat things about Mm -hmm. using these books is that there are times when the kids have more insight into the book than the parents do. Yeah. And so the parents say, what? You don't mind living with an alligator? And the kid says, no. Yeah, you know, he, she asked him twice as if, like, really? You know, um, we can't see the expression on her face, so it's a little hard to know. But I, I expect that that's sort of a surprising answer for her. Yeah. And she then asks him to explain it. And she's, like, very respectful. And um, I would gather uh, impressed with what he thinks. Why do you think that some of the neighbors changed their houses after they sat and talked with Mr. Plumbean? Because they realized they were being dumb when they were when they were thinking it has to be a neat street, and they realized to follow their passions. They wanted to follow their passions and make their houses what they are. 
I love the fact that uh, instead of using the word dreams, he talks about passions mm-hmm. and says, you know, these people are passionate about what they're doing and that's what motivates them to do what they do. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, he's contributed that. So in this book, they they say that all the houses have to be the same in the neighborhood. Yes. But sometimes there are rules, or people think that all people should be the same, right? Yeah. What do you think about that? That's unfair. Why is that unfair? Because people should be able to be LGBTQ+, they should be able to be black, they should be able to, do all, to be all those things. Do you think that a community is better or worse when it's got all sorts of different people? It's better. Why? Because that makes diversity and everybody should be able to be anything. And what's so good about diversity? I kind of just already answered that anybody can be anything. (laughs) Ah, okay. You are right. Anybody can be anything. Anybody can be anything. Thank you, Jude. Wow. This kid. I know, Freddie, we're we're (laughs) sitting in the studio together and Freddie is listening to Jude for the first time. And I can see that you're, um, well, say what you're feeling right now. Well, I think he's been very exposed, whether it's through books, that's one way Mm -hmm. that can happen, or through life, you know, Mm -hmm. people in general. But uh, hats off to the mother for whichever way she exposed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think he's amazing. Insightful. Yeah, his interrogation of that question, right? You can hear that Jude is almost incredulous about being asked this question about whether we're we're made stronger, you know, or better, whether more diversity is better. He's almost like, why would you even ask that question? Mm -hmm. It's so obvious. Everybody can be anything. I want to thank Jude and his mother, Kelly, for their warm-hearted willingness to get messy on the neat street. I also want to thank panelists Freddie Evans and Tom Wartenberg for contributing their thoughts on bringing this book home. Thank you. And I want to thank, of course, you, dear listener, for listening. If you would like to see pictures of Jude and his mom, Kelly, or if you'd like to check out other episodes of Little Voices, Big Ideas, please visit primetimefamily.org. This podcast was made possible by a generous grant from the Community Foundation of Northwest Louisiana. Theme music was composed by Sam Gelband. Our technical producer and recording engineer is George Ingmeyer. Little Voices Big Ideas is produced by Primetime Family Reading for the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, a state council of the National Endowment for the Humanities. The views expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our funders or the endowment board or staff. The end. Tell me again How the people tell their stories And who did what where and when, uh-huh, mm. Tell me again The one from start to finish And tell me where do I fit in, uh-huh, mm-hmm 
Oh, I see. Yes, I get it now. Everybody's got something to say to each other. Everybody's got something to say to each other.